Thanks, Steve. Good comes updated. On when it comes to Rod and, and particularly to Derek, you, you really I try to get the email like the updates that happen on Facebook to you through the email. But Rod is a prolific writer, as you all know, and he is constantly giving a blow-by-blow -blow experience of what's happening in the hospital because it's partially just therapeutic for him. So if you could get a hold of a Facebook account um, or talk to somebody who does, they can keep you updated because sometimes by the time I've sent you the email, he's already changed the update. So um, things are going up and then they bounce down a little bit and they're going up. I mean... Derek is stable, but it's going to be a really, really long journey um, for the next six, eight months, a few months in ICU, and then who knows what kinds of rehab and all that's going to be needed. So continue to pray. We'll keep you updated. Yes, ma'am. If we can make sure that gets up. So that's the fourth sign up is as Miriam has to sit in chemo for four hours, you're thinking a three-year-old has to sit for four hours. Uh, Brittany had suggested we put together little bags that will keep her busy while she sits there for four hours um, and kind of helps out. So you can sign up to say you're going to do that, I guess. I have I didn't look at that, so I don't fully know what that is. Okay, so the email has links and all that kind of stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, let's bow our heads and we'll, we'll pray. Did I send? Oh, you know what? Before we do that, let me just send the sign up sheet around. And I did have one other announcement. I noticed that next week was going to be the Yakeleys and then Chelsea signed up, but she's the only one signed up and it would, Dylan's going to do it with you. Um, okay. So, um, if you want to help them, they, I'm sure they would be happy for help. Um, but kid Dusper, sorry, I didn't say that. My fault. Thank you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this community. Thank you that, that you are good to us um, in the midst of our trials and our struggles. Um, and Jesus, we thank you for coming and dying for our sins and from raising from the dead and giving us the opportunity to freely enter into your throne room, into the throne room of God, and place our requests and our agonies before you and to be in deep and intimate relationship with you. Tonight, God, we announce this place as your kingdom. And Holy Spirit, we ask for your courage to believe what's true and to push aside what is false. And we ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so... For those of you who didn't know, we are in the second week of Lent. If you don't know what Lent is, Lent is the 46 days or so before Easter. Um, 40 days usually that involve fasting, six days of celebrating. That would be your Sundays. Um, and the purpose of Lent is simply to stop us and help readjust where we are in our relationship with Jesus. Lent is there in the church calendar to say, okay, it's time for you to kind of readjust, create some space in your life, stop doing something so you have some space to reflect on the death of Jesus and the death for your sins and to begin to prepare your heart 
to not just come to Easter, to come to the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus with sort of a, uh, but a real excitement to be at a place where you really deeply can intimately connect in your emotions and in your mind to the resurrection as the exciting and transformative event that it is. And so that's what Easter is. I mean, what Lent is, and that's what we're headed to in Easter. Um, and so what we've been talking about is prayer. And we're going to talk all through Lent about prayer. And last week, um, we talked about kind of how we begin that process, what prayer looks like. I can't really give you a long review of last week, so I would suggest that you go online and that you listen to the sermon. And I would suggest that you listen to the sermon more than once so that you kind of remember these things that we're talking about and you can kind of link them together and so you have sort of a a whole collection of understanding of prayer. Um, But I will remind you of the three words that we talked about last week when we talked about prayer. And so we talked about how when we begin to pray, and praying is basically talking to Jesus, engaging with the well, engaging with God, talking to God, um, you come into that by the Spirit. Okay? The scripture tells us that we come into prayer by the Spirit, and that we enter into the throne room of the Father through Jesus. And so our prayer for the majority of our how we pray should be addressed to the Father. It does not mean you can't pray to the Spirit. It does not mean you can't pray to Jesus. But the whole point and the push of the New Testament is that we enter into the Father's throne room, that we address the Father, and we do that by coming through the Son by the Spirit. To understand that better, I would suggest that you go listen to my sermon so you can connect those things. This week, I want to just encourage you and get you excited about praying. I want to call you to pray. Um, now, all of you, I suspect, if I asked you, you would agree with me that you want to be known. Like we all want to be known and understood. That is at the heart of being human. We do not like wandering around having a feeling that no one understands us. Right? Or at least maybe then we end up enjoying that identity of, well, nobody understands me, so I'm a rebel, right? But we have this longing because then we're just telling everybody, hey, I want you to understand me, I'm a rebel, right? We have that sense. We want to be understood, okay? We want to be known. And I think that the place that God begins to know us and where we begin to experience being known, is in prayer. And when Jesus teaches His disciples the Lord's Prayer, before He teaches His disciples the Lord's Prayer, He kind of gives us a clue into that. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to just look at verse 5 and following right before the Lord's Prayer as to what Jesus has to say about praying. Okay, We're starting in verse 5 and it says, When you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites. Okay, So don't be like the actors. Don't be like somebody who's putting something on. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by men. Okay, So their whole thing in their praying on the corner and in the synagogue is so that people will see them. Okay, So that people will see them. 
Now, in, in the first century, as if you're a Hebrew, being seen as connected to God and being seen as religious is important. It means that you're, you're important. Okay? And so, here are these people praying on the, on the corner and praying in the synagogue, and they're being seen. Well, I'll tell you that the number one thing, I think, to being known, the key to being known, is actually being seen by somebody. Right? To be known, we have to be seen. Right? People have to look at us, acknowledge us, understand who we are. So here are these people wanting to be known. They're praying out on the corners. And so Jesus says about these people, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So they are seen. Who are they seen by? Everybody. Okay? But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now I want to just stop for a moment and go back because I want to push maybe on a little bit of your Christian culture for a second because most of you, I suspect, pray for a meal in public, right? You pray for meals in public. And I think some of you might pray for meals in public because you're hoping that the waitress knows that you're a Christian. Right? You're using your prayer as an evangelistic thing. Right? Or maybe some of you like praying in public for people. Like your friend needs prayer and you pray in public outside of the church building. Like, if you do that, that's fine. It's great. But if you're doing that because you want people to notice you, you're not much different. So I would actually say if you're praying for your meal because you want people to know you're a Christian, stop praying for your meal. Okay, I just want to put that as a little side. Okay, Examine why you're praying for that meal. Now here, Jesus says, if you're going to pray, what you need to do is you need to go into your room and shut the door. Okay, So you're not seen by anybody. And I think then he acknowledges an awkward thing. You are going to now pray to a God you can't see. He, he gets it. Like when you go into your room and you begin to talk to nobody in particular, it seems, that's kind of awkward, right? That's a little awkward. But what I think Jesus is saying is that there is something very intimate about moving yourself out of everybody else to pray. And what he says is the reward to that is that you will be seen by God. Okay? You will be seen by God. Let's continue. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Okay. So he says, when you get into this room alone, don't babble on. Don't try to manipulate God, because God already knows what you want what you need. So what he's saying is that if you're willing to pull yourself out of the crowd, if you're willing to get alone with God, God will see you and God will hear you. So there's this sort of invitation to come away from everything. Now, God is Jesus is not saying, okay, in your prayer life, you can't pester the Father for anything that you want. 
You can't just constantly talk to him and say, I need this, I need this. He's not saying that. He's actually saying that there are two kinds of ways of relating. Like, And we all relate this way. We have the basic functions of life, which is, okay, who's picking up the kids? Who's making dinner? Who's it? We're always asking, can you do this for me if I do that? There's always this dialogue between friends, between husband and wife, between children and parents, between roommates, between coworkers. We have a relationship that really doesn't have any intimacy in it. It's functional. We live together. We have to survive together. We ask each other for a lot of favors. We tell each other what to do. We coordinate everything, right? God's, Jesus is saying that's not a problem. But if you're married and you decide to go out on a date with your husband or your wife, and your date consists of the two of you going out to eat and sitting there and saying, okay, will you do this for me? Now, in our love life, I'd like you to do this, this, and this. And hey, with the kids, now what do you think about you doing, you know, when you do the dishes, do you think you could at least dry them all? I mean, come on. Like, if that is what your date looks like, there's no intimacy. There's no being seen. There's no being heard. There's no intimacy there. Nothing, right? If that's how you interact with your friends, if you're like, hey, let's go out for a cup of coffee, and then a good time with your friend around a cup of coffee is you just asking them for all the things that you want, you're not going to have very many good times with your friend, right? So what, what Jesus is saying is, if you want to experience being known by me, if you want to experience that, if you want to be seen and you want to be heard, then there is something special about moving away from everybody and finding a place alone to pray. Finding a place alone to pray. Jesus did this all the time. Now, Jesus didn't have his own closet, apparently. So he went up hills. He was always running away from people to try to find this place to pray. But the invitation that he's offering all of us is, do you want to be known? If you want to be known, you need to move away from things. And the context of that time cannot be you just babbling on about what you want okay, and what you think you need. Now, that's great. I hope you're really excited now because God says that he'll know you. He'll see you and he'll hear you if you'll get alone. But if you're anything like me, that's super difficult, and I'm not quite sure being known by God, what does that mean, really, all that kind of stuff. So what I want to do is I want to just kind of paint the picture a little bit more and get you a little, hopefully a little bit more excited about what's being offered you if you decide to go pray alone. And I think it's very key that it's not with people, that you go pray alone with Jesus. So I'm going to take you to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians. And when I read this prayer, what I usually think is that he's praying that we'll have a prayer life, that we'll be people of prayer. This is what his prayer is. So Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14, he says this, Now, in the context of this, and this is important to our community, the context of this is that Paul, in the earlier section, is talking about how a mystery is revealed to him that the Jews and the Gentiles are to be one. But he's talking also about his suffering. Okay, 
All of us at this time understand this idea of suffering and what we're wrestling with. And in that context, the context of suffering, he says, this is what I'm praying for you guys. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So very quickly, he says, I am praying to the one who's dad of everybody, whose mark and whose image is on all of us. And he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, this is key, so to the king of the world, to our father, he's asking that out of everything that the father has, that it be, that something happened here, that out of his glorious riches, everything that God has, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner, inner being. So here's what his prayer is. His prayer is that you and I would have a connectedness with the Father so that inside of us we would gain a strength. Okay? That we would gain a strength. Now, if you, this is what prayer alone begins to bring. I don't begin to feel strong until there is a strength put in me by God. So going into prayer, being known by God and being seen by God is the way that he begins to build that strength in me. And here is what he says he wants God to strengthen us to do. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Faith is simply the idea that Jesus Christ is trustworthy. That what Jesus says is trustworthy. Who Jesus is is trustworthy. Okay? So when we're talking about Jesus dwelling in us through faith, what we're, what he's asking for is that God will give us the strength to be in a place where we believe Jesus is trustworthy. He can be trusted. Okay? And there's something that happens to us when we believe that what Jesus says and who Jesus is is trustworthy. And this is what the experience of being known is like. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So when you and I enter in, to prayer, and we are seen and known, and we are then strengthened, and we believe that Jesus is trustworthy, the experience that we have is that we are filled with love. Now here's my argument. The reason you should go away and pray, this is the part that should inspire you, the reason you should go away and pray is that God will know you, and you will be filled with love. That you will become overflowing with love. And the reason you'll be able to be overflowing with love is because you trust Jesus. You trust Jesus. Prayer develops a trust in who Jesus is, and out of that comes a love, the love of Christ. Okay? So, outside of that, if you aren't moving away from everybody and stepping into an intimacy with Jesus, 
you begin to doubt the trustworthiness of Jesus and you begin to feel empty and far away from love. Okay? The closer you move towards Jesus and affirm his trustworthiness, the more you are at peace and experience the love of Jesus. Now, I have married, I think, in this church, 75% of you have performed your weddings. Sorry for the other ones. You guys weren't around. Um, but one of the things that I have told almost everyone, I think all of the people I've married, is I will not do your wedding unless you promise me that you're going to go out on dates I hoped every week. Because I think that one of the ways that marriages hold together is when you are forced to sit across from each other and begin to have conversation that has nothing to do with who's doing the dishes, who's going to take care of the kid, what's the budget look like. When when you have to have a level of intimacy and, and rub up against each other and be affectionate and you're forced to work on things. And those experiences become more and more loving and you feel more and more loved as you develop trust in each other. Same thing with Jesus. The more and more you step away from everything, begin to work out all that stuff, the more and more you trust Jesus, the more and more you experience a love with Jesus. Okay. Now, Paul ends his prayer like this. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I like this because what Paul is saying is when you step into a relationship with God, you don't have to get this right. When you step into prayer, you don't have to say the right things. You don't have to, you can be all thumbs and not know how to spend time alone with God. We learned last week that the Holy Spirit will speak for you and with you and will lead you in that process. All you have to do is go into your closet and shut the door and begin the process. And God will do the work. Now that's cool. That gets me really excited. I I want to go away. I want to spend time praying. I want to talk to God. I want to develop this intimacy. But still, it's not that practical. I don't know exactly. I need a place to start. We all need places to start. So I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 6. And I want to look at what Jesus has to say about anxiety. Because in this little discourse, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, on anxiety, which is all of your problem and mine, right? If you're a human, it seems that anxiety about prayer, anxiety about life, anxiety about everything, is who we are. That's who we are. We're anxious people, one way or another. Okay? And so praying and getting away and praying is an anxiety-producing thing. Now, the way that Jesus talks to our emotions is not the way I recommend that you talk to your husband or wife. Okay? Because the way Jesus speaks to emotions is he constantly tells emotions truth. So he gives the emotion a command and then he tells you, he argues with you. But if my wife is struggling, it is not helpful for me to tell her, stop being anxious. Now here's why. 
I want to give you three reasons why you shouldn't be anxious. Now that's, but this is Jesus, and Jesus is allowed to do this because Jesus is God, and actually what he's saying is true. And so we're going to wrestle through that because I think this is the awkward experience we have in prayer when we begin to talk to Jesus. And so this little picture on how he deals with anxiety is important to us understanding how we might enter into prayer with Jesus. So, verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry. So he's going to say this three times. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Okay, So this is something that all of us deal, deal with. Right? Now, it's a little different in the first century. You're a little more concerned than we are in wealthy America about what we're going to wear and eat. Like, you did not go in the first century to Safeway and there was a long thing of meat. In fact, most of the country, you do not go to where there are freezers full of frozen meat. And most of the world, you don't experience that. But we do. But still, even though we have all those things, we're all afraid about what we have to wear and what we have to eat and what we have to drink. We're worried about our life. What's going to happen to us? What are we going to do? And Jesus says, is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes. Okay, so he's beginning to start this argument. Now, Psalm sixty-three three says that the steadfast love of God is better than life. So yes, light or, that there is something more than these basic things. So his argument is, isn't light, there's more to life? And then he starts making more of an argument. Look at the birds of the air; they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? So he says, look, the birds, they don't, they don't plan. And they're taken care of, and you're more valuable than the birds. And if you worry all this time, you're not going to get any older. Like it's not, you're not going to add to your life with all your worry. In fact, you might shorten it. So he begins this argument, then he keeps going. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? We're going to get to that in a second. We'll skip over that for a second. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans, that would be everybody else who's not following Jesus, run after all these, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble as its own. Trouble of its own. Okay. So one of the primary things that make it difficult for us to trust Jesus, to think that He's trustworthy in the midst of the chaotic world that we live in, is our anxiety over our what we wear, what we like, the immediate, what's going to happen in this thing or that thing. And so Jesus offers us an argument. The first argument basically is that when is is a statement. Well, he offers us a statement, a command. The first command is to stop worrying. Okay? He, so he just looks at you and he says, stop being anxious. Okay. You're right. Okay, God. 
Then he gives us a reason. And the very, and it's very simple. The reason is that you are valuable to me. The father of the universe says, stop worrying. You are valuable to me. Okay? But then the next thing he says is he's going to give us the reason why we're worrying. He says, oh, you of little faith. Now, if faith is trust that God, what God says and who God is, is trustworthy, like if it's the belief that God is trustworthy and what he says is trustworthy, what he's saying is, is that our anxiety and our disconnectedness from Jesus comes from the fact that we believe he's not trustworthy and what he says isn't going to play out. Okay? It's not going to play out. So he says, you're valuable. Stop worrying. You're valuable. The reason that you're worrying is because you don't trust me. And then he offers us a way to deal with it. And that is to seek the kingdom and his righteousness. Now, seeking, the word here is meditation. And meditation is to repeatedly think about something and to ponder something. So here's my argument about prayer. If you want to deal with your anxiety, if you want to feel deeply connected to God of the universe, you need to get alone and seek the kingdom and his righteousness. And this is how you seek. By meditating on his words and by meditating on him. And here's how you do it. So, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the way that friendship is improved, is made deeper, is not by getting together and doing frivolous things. That's fun. It adds to a level of friendship. But usually, the deepest part of friendship is when you get alone with somebody and you start reflecting on a history together. You start reflecting on things that that person has offered you. And you say, do you remember when we did this? Do you remember when you said this to me? Remember when, when we were in the midst of that really crappy time at church and God did these things. Like this is what meditating on your friendship is like. So meditating on God is to sit with God alone and begin the process of reflecting on what He's done. And out of what He's done, what you hope He will do. And there's this intimacy and this trust as you look at what God has done. Prayer then becomes this conversation with the God of the universe about what He's done and what He's doing in your life. And that will develop trust and that will develop intimacy. Now, Jesus said that we should seek the kingdom and all His righteousness and, and righteousness is just looking at and seeking the right way of God. But, he says here that all the things that we long for will be added to us or gathered up to us. So all the things that we need. But there's a problem with this because most of you know that you don't have everything that you think you need. Right? You don't have it. We're, we, Derek is in the hospital. Miriam has cancer. I know tons of your stories and what's happened. We can go on and on. We could stand up and say, look, this is not good. God has, I have sought God and He hasn't given me what I quote unquote need. But Paul has an answer for this. And, it, and, and I think we find that answer when we connect ourselves to, to God. And I, I want to end tonight 
just reading one of my favorite passages out of Romans, chapter 8. Of course, I have to find Romans. Romans chapter 8. If you would just indulge me, it is a little has a little bit of length to it. But Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28. Paul says this, And we know that in all things God works for good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. A lot of complicated words in there. But simply what Paul is saying is God loves you. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died? More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, shall hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword? I think that's important. He's saying, even if we don't have clothing, food, and water. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demon, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. My invitation to you is to step into a quiet place and pray because as you do that, you will discover that the only thing that you need is the love of Jesus. And that the way you can experience that is by being seen and by being heard by God as you enter in to that conversation. So that's my invitation to you as you begin the process of Lent and as you begin reflecting on the cross of Christ, that you step away into an intimate place with God, into a place where you can be quiet, where you can be known. And my prayer is Paul's prayer that you will experience the deep, deep love of Jesus. And that when Easter comes, you will say, I trust Jesus. He's trustworthy. And when He says, don't be anxious, I can hold on to that. I can hang on to that because of how much I love Him and understand what He's done for me. Let's pray.